welcome to stage two and episode three of the Cycling Tips Daily Tour podcast. Now, today we thought we'd do a little bit of a a little bit of a mix-up. We thought we'd start the podcast at the start, then jump to the finish because, well, we want to show you a little bit of colour of the race. And believe it or not, talking of colour, we got a man who always supplies a lot of colour to the Cycling Tips website. We got Christophe Ramon, photographer extraordinaire. How are you doing, mate? I'm fine, Shoddy. How are you? Absolutely great. So, first, well, proper road stage, innit? How's your tour been so far, mate? Excellent. And this is, this is one of the things, one of my very favourite countries is Denmark. So coming here is always a joy, an absolute joy, actually. Why is it one of your favourite countries, then? I don't know. I like the Danes. And it's just, actually, I always said it, I just said it yesterday. I think Denmark is a better version of Flanders, somehow. Too. And this is a man that comes from Belgium. That's saying something, that is. All right. Well, I've got you. Should we have some top tips how to get a good photo of uh, cyclists? Because you, you know, as, as we say, photographer extraordinaire. Come on. Three top tips, me man. Three is a lot, but like, for one, be there. It's like, it, it sounds stupid, but actually, if you like cycling photography, show up at cycling races. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a good one, right? Easy. All right, good glass. Get a good lens. I mean, one good lens. Try to, because it's very important. These riders go fast, so you need, like, a lot of light coming through your lens. So get one with a big aperture, and that'll sort of help you with the speed you have to capture. Do you need all the kit? Do you need all the fancy cameras? I would... Obviously, I need to say no, but at the same time, it really helps. So, yes and no. Do you need to have a good bike to be a good cyclist? think so. It helps. Can you do it on a crappy bike? Yeah, but to a certain extent. Okay, what's your favourite photograph you've ever taken? What's the one that you're really proud of? There's there's quite a few, and and actually... um, well, this one that jumps to mind is, is like uh, two years ago uh, at the World Championships when Julian Lafilippe won the first time, like two championships ago uh, in uh, Imola. Um, oh, that I, was a beautiful shot. Is it, uh, him along the top of that crest. I was, I was completely, the day before I saw the coverage of the women's race and that helicopter shot did that crazy shot. I was like, oh, I've got to find that spot. I want, I want that. And at the very, and I found it and then, and when I, while I was there, I was like, you know what? There's a good chance like the winner will be here if I if I can capture him in full action in this sort of way, it will be incredible. And so at the very last minute, I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay here instead of going to the finish. And it it, it sort of made my championships because that picture is like, I mean, look that where the riders ch- check where their line might be and position yourself well to it. So according to where they will be and uh, prepare your shot mentally. There we go, smashing right. I'm going to carry on, go and see who else we can colour and let you people know exactly what it's like at the start because it's, it's always fun, isn't it? Stressful for us journalists and photographers, I'm guessing, but fun. It's fun. I'm relaxed. In Denmark, I'm relaxed. In France, it's more stressed, I feel. like Now I feel like, well, maybe it's just because it's the first real stage. Right, let's carry on. Believe it or not, that isn't for our podcast. 
It's for, I'm not sure, somebody on the stage, be one of the Frenchies. No, it's for free, me believe it or not. Still getting a warm reception. Okay, so let me run you through what it's like at the start. You have got the paddock area where all the team buses are lined up. Generally speaking, they've got the bikes sitting out the front or tucked away around the back if they're trying to hide some new tech. And the team cars sit next to them. This is all barriered off so the fans can't get to it. It's just the people who have got the passes, the journalists, the staff, that sort of thing. Then over to one side, relatively close to the paddock, they'll have the signing on a big podium where the riders roll up, get a clap, get a scream. And next to that, you'll have what is called the Tour Village. We'll try and dip in there later on, maybe today, maybe later on in the race. That's where you... If you're a VIP, if you've got a pass, you can wander in there. All the sponsors have stands. You can get a terrible coffee from Sensio. There we are, another sponsor we won't be getting on the podcast anytime soon. There's local food, areas to sit down, read, keep newspaper. That used to be the place where, before team buses, you'd catch the riders. They'd go and sit in there, relax, get a coffee themselves, or even get a haircut. What is that hole in the seat tube of the new Trek Madone SLR? Is it a potato holder for Tom Squinch? A portal to another dimension? Nope, it's IsoFlow, the race-focused version of Trek's comfort-enhancing IsoSpeed technology. Trek's testing shows that IsoFlow provides similar compliance levels to IsoSpeed, but it shaves a ton of weight and improves the bike's aerodynamics at the same time. That means the new Madone SLR is the lightest and most aerodynamic Madone Trek's ever made. Visit trekbikes.com to see the new Madone SLR and thanks to Trek for sponsoring today's Tour Daily episode. Okay, thank you to today's sponsor, Trek. There's a video coming from them. We're going to see what we can fit inside that uh, big hole out the back, that ISO speed hole. To the finish, let's get the results. See what happened today. Right, welcome back. We're at the finish. The race is all done and dusted. And we've got, we've got the A-team again today. We've got Ronan, Johnny and Pippa. You'll be glad to hear. Last time you were on, everybody was saying it was possibly best podcast ever. Not just of CT, but ever. <laughs> Welcome back. How's, your, how's the day? But past two days since we last saw you, been. So one day I've got wet and now I'm sweating. So it's a bit like being in the UK in the summer. In the summer you know. It's a bit like riding the Tour de France, I'm guessing. No, it's not like... <laughs> it isn't at all because there's no way I'm going to lose skin. Yes. Or fall off or I'm risking ending up in the North Sea. Don't jinx it now, it's been going so well. Right, let's crack on with today's stage because it's been, it's, it's been a belter but not as exciting as we expected, has it Johnny? No, the headwinds sort of ruined the, the big bridge as everyone started calling it. Um, it was still a sort of trepidatious finale with a bit of action and drama. But yeah, a relatively quiet day at the Tour, if you can have one of them. Run us through the results. Well, a quiet day then ended in quite dramatic fashion. A couple of crashes at the beginning and towards the end of the bridge before Fabio Jakobsen won the stage, coming around Wout van Aert late with Mads Pedersen in third. Wout van Aert thought that he'd won it. He thought all we had to do was get around the Danish rider, Mads Pedersen, but then looked to the other side and Jakobsen had pipped him. It's a big... Uh, Fabio Axum obviously crashed about 700 days ago 
sort of talked in the press conference about it to become a it's become a person again then a bike rider then a top sprinter and he described it as you know he's completed the circle of sort of his his comeback story so it's a it's a great story there two wins in a row for quick step and then Wout van Aert also took yellow because he finished second getting the bonus points to take him over Yves Lampert and now Wout van Aert leads Lampert by one second in the GC Ronan so that's it all wrapped up then podcast on Done. And so just stories, that's everything we need to know. I'm just looking at his results. He's had 14 wins this year. Is that right? Who's that? Jakobsen. 14 wins this year already. That's some going, isn't it? For a man who's on the comeback. Yeah, for sure. And it's why Mark Cavendish wasn't at this race. Yes. But we'll get into that. We will do indeed. But it's no. actually, you know, we, we talk about it being 700 days since this crash. It's, it's what, just slightly over a year 14 months since he actually even made his comeback to racing in the Tour of Turkey yeah. last year which is a phenomenal you know achievement in itself to come back but then to come back to the highest level in, in sprinting so quickly from even just getting back to racing is well it's uh, I guess it's a major achievement isn't it? Pippa you will have seen some serious incidents in your time I'm guessing racing and seen the safety protocols change over the years have you got any wild stories <laughs> well that that crash that happened today at 2.3 kilometers to go you we, we get to drive into the you know the last couple of kilometers and there was always going to be a crash somewhere in that in that zone you know when we came off the the bridge and it was downhill into that like, series of corners where you needed position so there was always going to be a crash and when you do pro bike racing, there's always some kind of some dodgy corner somewhere. Um, it's never straightforward. And the first day of the Tour de France is always desperate. So there's always a big giant crash. But it's not, I didn't think it was actually that bad. You know, okay, so, I mean, that seems really cynical. Uh, you know, 25, 30 guys came down. But it, it could have been worse. So I, it, I thought it was okay. In, in I, terms of, I, and I've been in worse crashes, you know. And I've been in a. There was a major one in in the, the Giro I did in '87 when Guido Ben Bontempi fell from second position in in the bunch sprint, and the, I think about 60 of us came down. Um, and then there was another major one in Liège Bastogne one year, just when you come out of Bastogne and you head towards the first hill, and they had roadworks which they filled in with sand. What? <laughs> 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 this doesn't sound going too well. And it, 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 you know, it, the, the, I think that the sand pit was about, you know, you could, it, it was like something from a horse race. You know, you couldn't jump it on a push bike. There was kids building castles in there prior to the race, was well, there? When we all piled into it, you know, there was you know sand everywhere, and the, that was, I think, about sixty guys came down in that as well. But that was. That was probably the worst one for noise, you know, when some because when you fall, there's all the banging and, and breaking and people screaming and agony and all the rest. Oops, and all the rest of it. Um, so yeah, the, the Liège one was bad for that, the noise. Because today it didn't seem like as mental as like other uh, first, second, third stages of the tours been before. Like talking to riders, they said it was relatively calm up until like the bridge, like the the. The preceding kilometres to the bridge was where the fight was really on. Yeah, so the the, the, the team briefing would have been this, exactly the same for everybody this morning. You know, pay attention and then 
as soon as you, you go into that last 40 kilometers you have to hold position and then you could see that happened you know that everybody was kind of calm and, and paying attention to the amount of road furniture but as soon as you could see that bridge in the distance and it turned into a headwind the, the, the amount of tension went up and then the team started lining up in in um you know kind of race order guy the gc guys holding trying to hold one place and quick step and um bike exchange trying to keep their guys in in the, in the position for the sprint so then it just got faster and faster and more desperate can you talk us through why we didn't see any echelons today because everybody was expecting echelons it was a headwind wasn't it across the bridge it wasn't that everybody was expecting is everyone's hoping <laughs> asa were actually um demanding that um that there was side wind it was part of the brief for um the, the the way the route went um, normally the route was going to be the finish was going to be 30 kilometers after the bridge in a town called is it Osenda? yeah Osenda. Yeah. so it, that was where the, the finish was the Dane the, you know, the Danish government or whoever's paying for it um, they wanted it to finish there and ASO insisted that it finished at the bottom of the bridge in Nyborg because they usually the winds from the south and that would have meant a full side wind across the bridge. But today, unfor unfortunately, it was from the southwest, which meant the first part of the bridge was across headwind, which made it kind of difficult, but not, you know, crazy. And then when it turned slightly to the left, um, it became a headwind and that just nullified everything. Now, what was interesting, uh, I was talking to Max Shackman after the race and he said, halfway well once Eve Lampard crashed the peloton actually calmed down mm. which is I from an outside perspective quite amazing considering they've only like 20 kilometers not even that from the finish then even the, the gentleman's agreement with the yellow jersey is is that short that that short distance from the finish line is it normally if the yellow jersey falls then there's a kind of slowing down but if they fall in the last you know, hour. Yeah. Nobody waits for them. If you notice that no, nobody really waited for um, Yves Lampard. You know, the but Mark Shackman said the peloton slowed yeah, slightly. So, slowed down. so then the, the, the guys stopped riding because they, they learned it from the driving over there. You know, with all the team bands and the buses, you could see it was a full headwind because even the car was struggling with the headwind. Um, so, so they knew it was going to be that 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 would null can nullify the race. And then we saw the. the, the the, the case of it being 30k an hour into that strong wind where normally you'd be riding 60 so instead of the, the last 20k being 20 minutes it was you know, half an hour <laughs> so, which was everybody on TV on French commentators were saying you don't think I've ever seen a, a final in the Tour de France riding so slowly but it was just the conditions Wout Van Aert called it boring in the press conference afterwards he said it was boring he said it was like a training ride I mean, he's obviously, oh, he was thrilled to get the yellow jersey, but before that point, he was a bit like, oh, expect a bit more from the bridge and, you know, riding into headwind, so I couldn't even really take in the surroundings and being 50 metres in the air, it did look quite spectacular on TV. Boring's a strong word to use for a stage, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but you have to remember that those, so those Belgian and Dutch guys just love that stuff. Mm. You know, they would have loved scraping the, their elbow on the barrier, you know, at 60k an hour. So that's why he was bored, because that, 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 that bit he was looking forward to that everybody else was scared of didn't happen. Would, would, do you think it, should, it could have quite easily been a different day than for the GC contenders if it had been a, a, a crosswind? Yeah, definitely, yeah. 
So today's played into a favour for the GC guys. Yeah, it was like one of those. It was like an episode of a soap, you know, where it gets built up and built up. That there's going to be the big reveal, and then nothing happens, and it happens the next day. You know, yeah. you tune in and then and so and so is going to be murdered, and then nobody dies. <laughs> I think it was a bit like that. That we were all sitting there thinking, well, when's it going to kick off? And then it just never did. Let's talk Wout van Aert in his yellow. Have have the team secured this yellow jersey a little bit too soon? Is it going to be difficult for them um, to, 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 to sort of protect this jersey from here on in? Because obviously they want it in Paris, not now. The, the thing is, you have to look at the, the, the tactics of the team going into the first week. So that's why Filippo Ganna's here for Ineos. He, they wanted him to win the prologue and then they have team car one in the in the convoy because if they can keep the jersey the whole week on the on the Roubaix stage which well the Arenberg stage they're in first position when they hit the cobbles anything happens and they're first there and that's the whole thing for the classic campaign is that, that whatever happens you want a good position in the, in the convoy for when because something will happen you know there'll be crashes and punctures and all the rest of it and you want to be near the front, so first, second car in that in that convoy. And 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 this is part of the kind of long-term strategy of, of choosing how you who you which riders you choose. So if Ghana had taken the yellow jersey, he would still be in it today. And Ineos would go into the cobbled stage in first position, able to help the GC riders. So and that this is the, the, so, the pre-planning yeah, so for this, the the cobbled stage. Basically. This is part of the planning you would have done in the winter. You know, when you sat down and you went, okay, the, the route's announced that four or five days in, there's cobbles, right? We need somebody who's going to be in the race lead or in the first two or three so that we've got a good position for those stages. So it's these little bits that you don't realise, innit? Mm. I, th I think, though, you know, that is a benefit for Yombo now, but they've still got this conundrum with Van Aert's ambitions after, you know, inevitably he will lose yellow eventually. Yeah. But they've still got that conundrum then with the two GC riders and Van Aert trying to go for for green. So, you know, I, I think we I think we mentioned that last night in the podcast just indeed. about about how important team car position might have been for today. Um, but yeah, about 100 right. Like going into the cobble stages, <laughs> you know, it might have been important for today, but it's going to be crucial for that stage. But then Pogaccio got away with one, maybe the fact that there there weren't crosswinds and the race didn't split up because he doesn't have. That, that squad formation where you have the road captain as the driver. I think speaking to a lot of people, that was the hope today was that Pogaccia might find himself isolated if there was echelons. He'd find himself distanced and and uh, you know ultimately lose time and then have to really attack the race because uh, I think a lot of people are quite nervous at the moment. We might see Pogaccia just run away with this thing and yeah. you know you you never want to see someone lose time through illness or injury but if they lost time in the crossroads that's yeah, that's fair game yeah. so <laughs> this was a, an opportunity I think people were hoping we, we might have seen a gap open up unfortunately we didn't in the end up let's talk about one of my highlights I think the highlight for everybody King of the Mountains today was fantastic yeah. wasn't it we were in the car driving over we went the wrong way out of Roskilde this morning Shh, no, we, didn't. A bit. we did we <laughs> saw the festival we weren't supposed to see the festival it looked it looked much better than any British fest, uh, music fest we've ever seen. It was very calm. There was grass everywhere, not the mud. Um, but anyway, so we actually we watched uh, we watched Magnus Korg go over the three classified climbs today in the car. 
the last one of which he raised his hands and celebrated towards the summit like he you know just finished the top out Duez is quite good he's, he's a good character Magnus Corey he does his hotel reviews and sort of you know shows you the other side of professional cycling life and then today he showed you the side we're used to seeing Celebrating at the top of a Cat 4 climb. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you have done that in your day? Obviously, you had the uh, polka no. dot jerseys no. quite, quite a few times. No, I wouldn't have done that <laughs> because it's a long-term thing. But yeah, I can understand why he did it. You know, he's obviously come there, come in today thinking, you know, I, I want to be on the podium in my home country. Mm. Um, and it's probably been a, an objective for EF to do that as well, to put somebody in the break and then try and do the you know, the mountain classification, because there's not that many people going to kill themselves the way those guys had to do on those on those little steep climbs that they have here. Mm. What do you think the pressure's like on a, on a rider like him to have a jersey early on that, let's be honest, doesn't, he, he knows he's not going home with this. What, what's it like to have a jersey early on in, in a race? And That's not pressure, that's relief. Is it? This relief that those guys are, you know, they're actually getting exposure. Yeah. So they've come with an objective. You're right. We need, we need some instant exposure, and that'll be massive here, because you know that'll be that. Other than Jakobsen in, um, winning the stage, you know, after his injuries, and, and Magnus Court will be on the front page. You know, yeah. as much as they're going to have what one arm, mm. because you have to sell it to your home home nation. I'm looking forward to tomorrow to see if it, there's little spotted ducks or little spotted dragons over his shorts, something like and that. And then he had those horrible, if you go back, you know, we talked about the Crocs. Oh, yeah. And he had them on and they picked it up on the, on the after, after tour show. Well, on the podium? I don't know if he went oh, to the, I think he might have went to the podium with you. He's had to check the picture. Yeah. Let's hope not, because that should be a proud moment for him to look back on. Polka jersey on yeah. the podium in Denmark, his home country. <laughs> and if he's wearing those Crocs, they showed the Crocs that photo is destroyed. Okay, before we go any further with more tour talk, I think it's time to throw over to, the, to today's Giro Donna diarist. We've got Leah Thompson again, who's teammates with Bassamo, who won yesterday's first stage and he's currently in pink. Now, I've checked the results myself on this and let's just say the boss is back. Hi everyone, um, this is Leah Thomas from Trek Segafredo, um, coming to you from the Sardinia airport. Um, we just finished stage three and um, in about an hour we'll be flying, I don't even know where, but somewhere on mainland Italy and then take buses to the hotel um, to spend the night. Um, our staff are all taking the ferry across with all the bikes, um, the buses, the trucks, and they'll arrive um, about where we are sometime around noon or one tomorrow. So we'll have a pretty relaxed morning and then go out and train um, the following afternoon. So um, that's what's going on now. Um, before I talk about today's stage, um, we stayed at a beautiful place last night and had a really great dinner and were able to celebrate um, Elisa's win, which was just really, really special. She gave a great toast. Um, and just what's so special about this group is their willingness to work hard for one another. And I think that produces great results. And Lisa's such a great sprinter. It's really great to be able to um, top it off. Um, 
But on to today. Today was a really flat stage. It was 113K. Um, we started with an eight kilometer neutral up the side of a mountain, um, which it was nice. They made it very neutral, so it wasn't, wasn't hard and the views were spectacular. Um, the stage itself was pretty straightforward. Um, a group of eight went up the road and there were three chasers. They were all small teams. So our job was to um, control the break. Um, our goal for the day was to get a stage win again and keep Elise in pink. Um, we accomplished one of those two goals, uh, but um, Elisa did a really strong sprint and ended up in third on the day and we were able to keep the pink jersey. So, so that's really exciting. But um, yeah, the break went up the road and Loretta and Amelie did a really good job of controlling that time gap and ultimately bringing the, um, pulling the break back um, so that we could uh, work for Elisa in the sprint. Um, my work was kind of the, 12k to 6k range kind of popping in when um things started to get hectic and making sure that the team was still in decent position until i couldn't do that anymore um and then lucinda and El elisa longobergini's job was to um really keep balsamo in in position so um yeah it was it was a hard day uh it was a really hot day, um, but overall, a decently successful day. Um, when everyone tries their best, you know, you can learn from it and do better next time um, and hope for more, but at the same time, you can't be, be too disappointed. You know, the Peloton's full of strong riders and sometimes you're not the strongest on the day. So um, I think we'll look back and, and try to figure out what we could do better and what we could do differently. Um, hats off to Voss for her win today, but ultimate, but like it was a strong team effort at the same same time. Um, so yeah, that's kind of kind of what happened today. Um, tomorrow, like I said, we have our our off day, um, and we'll. I'll let you know what that's all like tomorrow um, and maybe um, kind of tell you more about, about how I'm feeling and, and what I see for the upcoming rest of the drill. There we go. Thank you ever so much, Leah. There'll be more Giro Donna news coming from the podcast over the next couple of days. I can't even, is it tomorrow, the last day? I forgot what day it is today. Yeah, tomorrow's last day in Denmark, then travel day, then France. Blow me neck. Goes too <laughs> quick. It goes far too quick. Let's talk COVID. Cause, Before um, we talk COVID, actually, I want to bring up one thing just to ask, but, 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 but we've seen the, the sprint finish today. Just to go back to Jakob for a, Jakobsen for a second. And it, but Argy Bargy with Sagan coming in there, what did you make of that? Was that all fair game or what's your thoughts? That, that was typical Sagan. He, he, he latched on to Jakobsen, you know, because Sagan doesn't have a lead out, so he latched on to quick step and he was surfing Jakobsen's wheel. But when the sprint actually, so then it's just a matter of fighting for position and not getting pinned on the barrier side like Sagan did. And he wanted to get out, but you know, Jakobsen didn't move. Yeah. So a bit, difficult, a bit of difficulty for Sagan there. But the, the most telling thing about that sprint was is that when the sprint was actually launched, you know, about 200 meters to go, Sagan stayed where he was. He didn't get out of the saddle. He didn't do that acceleration that the other guys did, so he just stayed where he was and the other guys, a couple of guys came around him. 
So he didn't go in relative terms forward from where he was. So he didn't actually kind of do a sprint. He was nothing happened. It was kind of a slight downhill off into the finish. It was, it was really dangerous. Yeah. You think about Jakobsen coming from that that fall at Tour of Poland, where it was the same kind of conditions downhill, with and you're running at it at 70k an hour, and the barriers, you know, each side, and you can't really see the finish until the last moment. I, I, it's amazing that he actually had the nerve to do that. And for me, how solid he was as well. When Sagan shouldered him, there was there was zero movement at all. Like he was. You know, yeah, I, I, just bounced off him? Yeah, well, it's not even that Sagan bounced off him, it's that Jakobsen was able to sustain that sort of blow and give back as good as he got and didn't phase him whatsoever. Yeah, and that, that shows a lot of that kind of... He must have done a lot of mental, you know, kind of preparation and recovery because to, 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 for what happened to him, you know, to go over the barrier and, and have that such a, a big impact, you would think he would, those guys would be scared. And he, he talked about that in, in the winner's press conference that he, that his rehabilitation was as much physical as mental. Um, so yeah, respect him for that. Yeah, I spoke to Brian Holm today about that as well, and he said exactly the same. He says people don't realise what is actually come back from Brian Holmes. I, he didn't put it lightly. He said this guy could have quite easily died. Yeah, he, he says he's come back from near death experience basically. Yeah, and you think about that, and normally that would give you some kind of readiness to, to, to put yourself in a position where you can't fall, but apparently not, you know, so they've worked their way through it, and um, yeah, res- really impressive. Sprinter's mindset, isn't it? Yeah, printer's mindset, yeah, well, I don't know if they've got a, a, a set mind or they just take their brain out. And, uh, <laughs> or they don't have a mind, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's there, something to talk about, like resilience within the peloton, um, resilience within racing, because you see some guys... They have a, a a good amateur career, a good start to the to the pro- professional careers, and then they do struggle. Do you f- or you have guys who maybe weren't so great at under twenty three, do turn pro, but then seem to flourish. Do you think any of that's down to mental resilience, learning how to cope with the pressure, not just of racing but of the Tour de France? When you arrive in the pro level, you know, pro level, you've been you've been good, you know, in the in the, in the category before. So you're kind of used to, you know, you know, being able to move up. But since everybody's at that level, you know, everybody was a decent amateur. So you have to adjust your ambitions <laughs> because people are better than you, and it's quite hard to accept if you've just kind of strolled through the the, the lower categories and always been dominant and been able to do what you want, you know. If, and that that you need to work on that mental aspect that you're not going to win every race and there's going to be times when you spend three hours stuck in a gutter you know and you 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 see the same person in front of you and you look around and it's the same person behind you for you know for 120 kilometers and that happens that you're just pinned in position and you get to the end of the stage and somebody asks you what happened because you know they may have been further back than you were and you don't know you don't know what's happened because you you can you can't even sometimes you can't even see the front because you're so stuck where you are, and and that happens to every professional. Even even the best of the best. Even the best of being in the gruppetto suffering. That that's very nice to hear actually because I remember like from racing full time not professional but from racing full time. You were professional. No, you were. I was county level, so that's not <laughs> at least in my book. I didn't make enough money for it to be professional. So, um, but anyway, back to my point. 
I remember coming out of races and thinking, you know, as much as I enjoy the tactics in that of bike racing, I couldn't grasp it in races because there's so much going on. You're concentrating on your position. You're trying not to fall. <laughs> and you've got complete oxygen debt from the, from the effort you're making. And you just have no idea sometimes what's actually happening in the race. It's just pure survival mode. <laughs> so to hear it's actually happened to some of the best riders as well. It's, uh, it happens to everybody. Everybody that you, you can think of has been in the gruppetto with the guys who are surviving. You know, and you, if you're ill or you know you're just a bad form, and, and you have total respect that some, when somebody's worked out the time delay, and then you're riding with them, and you're flat out because you're you know you're having a crap day, and they they do that you know maybe ten days out of twenty odd in in a Tour de France because they can't climb or they they're not well or whatever. Let's yeah. let's, let's talk, talk about not well. Shall we get onto this COVID conversation? Okay. Because we've seen. Well, we've seen Tom Steele's yep. leave the leave pellet on today, as well as you were saying, Ronan, one of the Swaniers or one of the. No, the media. Philip yeah. Lowe, the press officer. Pre- oh, Phil, big a Phil. Mechanic as well. Jakobsen said in the press conference. Michael uh, Morku afterwards said that the team are on thin ice in terms of COVID and like the worries about if it will spread more. The thing with the support staff is that they can, re- you know, they've already got a new press officer in. They've probably drafted another DS they, and then they, they can come back it's three weeks of racing so Phil this morning was saying yeah hopefully I'll be back in a week but it's it's the riders and it's whether the riders have become have, have got COVID and that's the real problem because you've only got eight of them and you can't you can't make substitutions no it's not like I remember I think it was the well it was throwing an idea around probably, I'm going to say 15 years ago at least whether we were going to do like a rotor system we're going to have like that maybe 15 teams at the start for the first week and then have like a, a knockout competition for that first week and then you can swap riders in for the second and third week obviously it never went ahead it was just one of them wild ideas that that the the welter organizers had but with riders dropping out left right and center what we have noticed wandering around the pits especially after the race is that press aren't letting you to go up or press are being very cautious on certain teams of letting you go up and talk to them without them wearing a mask. We wear masks at all mm-hmm. all times, but they're not they're not wearing masks. There's a few teams that do seem a little bit slack on that front. I happen to be outside the Ineos bus uh, just as Garen Thomas finished his cool down, and he got off his trainer. And of course, there was a you know a few spectators about, and one of them asked for a photo with him, and it was sort of interesting. Either Garen worked it out on the spot, or he had been sort of pre-told for the photo you can do a photo if you want but uh, the spectator stood on one side of the barrier and it wasn't just that Garen stood on the other side of the barrier he stood a good uh, metre and a half back from the barrier but in such a way that it would have looked in the photo <laughs> like he was standing right beside whoever it was that was taking the selfie so I thought it was uh, quite a smart way around it and then he signed a few caps and stuff but he was given again it was like as far as his arm could reach to sign the cap and he was given a marker from the team to do that so um, it was. They're, they're, it's definitely playing on their minds. Like, and it, it's it's something that could end up, uh, uh, you know, uh, having what, an impact on this race. I mean, this year's race, it's noticeable the difference in the COVID protocols. Um, so after the stage, the first proper road stage, you could actually be at, You wouldn't. You weren't stuck in the mix zone. You could actually be off in the road after the finish line. And as the riders came across, you could run alongside them and get quotes. Obviously, everyone's masked up, but that's the first time since full of pandemic that you've actually been able to run alongside a rider and, and talk to them and then 
after after they'd done their interviews, quick step then went back across the finish line to the bus or a car or whatever, making their way through all of the public. So that's that's a bit of a crazy the, one. So there, there was the, there was like a barred off section after the finish line for this one year, isn't that stand in the mix zone and yeah. and then there was an open section. Yeah, and then there was another barriered section where the team buses could park. But there was actually like Enios, UAE, Bahrain, Trek, Alpecin were all outside that barrier zone, and outside their buses was just a free for all for mm. for any member of the public to to walk up, and which was, you know, the, like the good old days. There was there was even better than what I think pre-COVID was that there was literally just right outside the team bus, fans were able to stand there and watch the riders cool yeah. down, but. And last year that didn't happen. No. The no. buses were all parked inside the, the inside what they called the race bubble, mm. and nobody got in there. Not mm. even the no. television. I got in. Interviews. Did you not see the photos of the tech from last year? <laughs> Dressed as a rider. <laughs> no. Ronan's sneaky good at getting in places he's not supposed to. He's, he's already beaten Luca Mezjak in a sprint in Copenhagen, but we'll have to get the video of that on social soon. You you would have been racing in the days when there was no team buses to hide away in. No, there wasn't. So you sat in the back of a, of a, a team car and, and, and got washed down in, in, in front of the general public. <laughs> you just literally... Yeah, so you had a wipe down with eau de cologne and, and, yeah. and a, and a, and a um, face towel thing. And um, yeah, and people watched you in all your glory, you know. It's really skinny, funny town, you know, the whole thing. Well, when did the first buses come in? Was it TVM? Am I right in no, saying? TVM wasn't the first. I think it was um, Motorola who came from mm. the first. Or no, Onti. Onti splashed out because Onti was the equivalent of you know Sky and Ineos because they had a giant budget because it's this, this state lottery. And um, yeah, they were the first bus, and then TV, you know, and then a few other guys um, teams had buses. Now we're talking about the, the good old days. We've got Jose's, of course section today and she's talking not just about the royal family and the history there but also Tony Rominger who was born in Denmark Swiss rider but born in Denmark you would have raced against him yeah. he started as a, a pro in about 86 so just at your your heyday I'm guessing right over to you Jose this is the third and last stage on Danish soil we start in Vaile, the birthplace of Tony Rominger, and ride southwards to Sunderborg. We are racing on the peninsula of Jutland today, which shares a border with Germany and is by far the largest part of Denmark. The rest of the country consists of the three main islands, Zeeland, home to Copenhagen, Funen, where stage two finished, and Lolland. Next to the three main islands, there are over 400 smaller islands. As I explained before, Denmark is a kingdom led by Queen Margarete II. At 82 years old, she has been queen since 1972, which makes this year the 50th anniversary of her coronation. Her oldest son is Frederick II. He's married to Mary Donaldson from Hobart, Australia. The pair met during the Olympic Games in Sydney in 2000 and had their first child named Christian in 2005. His name was known long before he was born, or even conceived, because that's the tradition in Denmark. One generation of Fredericks and the next of Christians. The couple also have a daughter, Isabella, and twins, Vincent and Josephine. Denmark shares a border with Canada. I bet you didn't see that one coming. Greenland is an autonomous country that is part of the Kingdom of Denmark. You can compare this to the Commonwealth of Nations. Queen Margarete is the head of state of Greenland, just as Queen Elizabeth is for Canada. 
Back to Weile, the birthplace of Tony Rominger. Wasn't he Swiss? Yes, but his mother was Danish and his father was Swiss. Tony Rominger only turned pro when he was 25 years old. He won the Vuelta a España twice and came in second in the 1993 Tour de France, only a few weeks after winning the Vuelta, which back then took place at the end of April and early May. In the 1993 Tour de France, Tony Rominger took three wins, two consecutive mountain stages in the Alps and a 48-kilometer-long time trial on the penultimate day. That result saw him move up two places in the GC from four to two. But despite taking 42 seconds on Miguel Indurain that day, the gap between the Swiss rider and the Spaniard was far too big. Rominger lost that Tour de France by almost five minutes to Indurain, who won his third of five Tour de France titles. It's a Sunday today, so let's go to church. The main church in Weile is dedicated to St. Nicholas of Mira, the patron saint of children and seafarers, and the saint we modelled Santa Claus after. The St. Nikolai Church is the oldest building in town, and on the northern wall you will find 23 real human skulls. And these are the skulls of 23 robbers executed in a forest nearby. In Weile, you can also find the bog body of a woman who lived 2,500 years ago on Jutland. Until 2018, she lay in the church, but four years ago, she was moved to the Cultural Museum. The anaerobic conditions and acids of the peat bog near Haraldskjer contributed to the body's excellent preservation. Not only was the intact skeleton found, but also were the skin and internal organs. She was about 1 meter and 50 centimeters tall, or 4 feet 11, and 40 years old. It was common to burn the dead 2,500 years ago. But the woman of Haraldskjer was found in a bog with her body pinned down to the ground by wooden poles. She was covered with branches and her clothes were placed on top of her. And this makes scientists presume that she was the victim of a ritual sacrifice or murder because that was the case with most of the bodies found in bogs around Europe. Right, let's, let's round this podcast off with a bit of a nerd nugget. Ronan, what have you been spotting in the pits today, mate? There's a couple of interesting... Well, you spotted a few things as well, didn't you? There was yeah, a few I, interesting I, things. I gave you a shout of a new helmet, didn't I? Yeah. New Two new helmet series. Trek, yeah, you spotted Trek. Have a new Bontrager sort of... Semi-aero helmet, is it? Yeah. Uh, but it looks like plenty of ventilation there, but it's, it's definitely got some aero tweaks to it. Of course, I've seen the cask uh, aero road helmet yesterday. Garen Thomas were wearing it for the recon, but a couple of the riders were wearing it today. Not many of those, any of those grenadiers were wearing the new cask helmet today. But there was also a new Rudy project lid on top of the Bahrain riders, keeping them... Um, keeping better. all their secrets in. Well, that's... I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Ronan just gave me a look like, what are you doing? It's a joke, Ronan. I think we're allowed to joke. We don't do jokes in this podcast. Not in the Nerd Nugget, especially. <laughs> no, we don't joke in Nerd Nugget. I've got to say, helmets are all good, but riders don't look quite as cool with them than the little cloth caps on top of their heads. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't think I'd want to... F- you know, on days like this, even if the you didn't have to wear a helmet... You would go back for your helmet for the final you know, hour. So like a leather helmet, like back yeah. In, yeah. So so just like a bit of kind of gladiator stuff. You'd feel that you were, um, <laughs> you know, protected with this skinny bit of you know sewed together bits of rough leather, and you would go back for your helmet and have. I mean, you'd, I used to call it my kind of 
Flandrian persona. So you go back for your helmet and suddenly you'd be you'd feel like this kind of super superhero because obviously this helmet was going to protect you and whatever happened you were going to bounce off people were going to bounce off of you you might have like bounced down the road across the finish line yeah and you would you know and when you were you know, so if you were team leader the guys would go back for your helmet and come back with it yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you remember that time when they first made it mandatory that you, could, you had to wear a helmet but if there was a summit finish, you could take it off. Yes. Yeah. And you had domestics like with six or seven helmets going backwards yeah. through the peloton. You should have got a crown to do that and just like juggle the helmets as they're going back through the bunch. Did you did you spot the bling in the paddock this morning? No. A gold SRAM Axis flat top chain and matching cassette for one rider only. Who was that then? SRAM are now making a gold chain and cassette for any of their current or former world champions. Uh, I spotted it in the bunch. Mad Peterson has a has this gold chain and gold cassette. I was wondering what that was about. Just as we were about to leave the parking this morning, I spotted a SRAM car. So when I left them a little note saying, can you please tell me what this is? Uh, and I got a text message during the stage to say that it is uh, for former and current world championships, but may well be available to the public soon also. So if you like your gold chains, you might also now get a matching cassette. And last little nerd nugget, and I think this one might have been, I think this one might have been teed up for someone like myself to spot, because, did you ever see that Eurosport ad, or let me say it again, did you ever see that ad on TV that has uh, Geraint Thomas doing the writing on Zwift inside that? Is that G? Point? So you've got you've got a Zwift ad with Geraint Thomas on it, and a whole lot of other writers as well, but specifically in this case, Geraint Thomas is in that ad, so presumably he's a Zwift ambassador of some sort. Well, when he hopped on his turbo trainer to do his warm down today outside the NIOS bus, he was on his phone, and he put his phone down on top of his handlebars in kind of a weird way, and I thought, oh, that's a bit strange. And when I looked a bit closer, he was actually warming down using Zwift. Wow. I noticed he was on the logon screen for, he, he kept trying to use the logon screen, so I don't know if he was just putting it down there like so that someone could see him use, having his rift on his phone, wow. or if the, the trainer was seemed to be reacting to whatever program he had to do, so perhaps it was Swift was controlling it, I don't know, but I just find it absolutely ridiculous that's, that he was sitting outside the team bus riding Swift. That's the future of product placement. <laughs> yeah. every, every day do your warm down with, with Garrett Thomas on Swift. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a bad idea, that blew me neck, yeah. That's getting the fans uh, interacting. So, so they'll all have been, you know, yeah. and it even fits in better to his nickname, so they'll all have been G'd up by watching him during the day. <laughs> 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 On that pun. <laughs> On that bombshell, let's, let's get picks for tomorrow. Um, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce these names. Johnny? I could see the hospital pass coming a mile there, Dave. Um, for the start, let's go for Veli. And then it finishes in 182 kilometers later at Sonderborg. Flat as a pancake. Is this the? Is this a day for getting that gold chain and cassette up the front? Can Mads uh, can Mads do it on home turf? I mean, for me, when you've seen how dominant Jakobsen was today, how can you look past him? Like, a, I think we would. Well, I personally would like to see Mads take a stage, or a Danish rider take a stage in Denmark. I think that would be fantastic for any of them, but. You know, if I, I haven't even seen the route profile for tomorrow, but if it's as flat as you say it is, um, and there's no echelons or anything like that, it comes down to a bunch of sprint. Anybody else see anybody? Quick step again. 
Mm. Quick step again. Yeah. Where was what do, and what did we say on the preview podcast that yeah they left out Cavendish and might take no wins, but there there was one there was one Irish fellow on the podcast who says they might actually dominate this race and take all sorts of different wins. And I just remind you right now, there's two stages and two quick step wins so far. I, I spoke to Patrick Lefebvre after the stage today, and I asked him a couple of questions about the win, and he says it's just like the Avers song. I was like, what? Mamma Mia! He was like, no, no, no. Winner takes it all. <laughs> he always has a quote, doesn't he? He does. Come on, Johnny, use yours for tomorrow. I just thought I didn't see Caleb Ewan at all today, so let's hope that Caleb Ewan in the bright blue helmet can cross line first because it's the sort of red jersey, light blue helmet combination that just doesn't look like it's going to win. So let's go for the unexpected to actually happen. Cable Ewan. Cable Ewan. He's gone wireless. He is, hopefully he does go wireless tomorrow. I'm going to go wild here, Alexander Kristoff. Love it. Yeah. He was caught up in the crash at the finish today, was he? Was that? I think he was, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I, th- I think he was certainly there a sprinter for today, and I think he fancies himself for a stage, so maybe not a bad shot, yeah. There we are then. Okay, people. Thank you, everybody. Sorry. Do we get a pick from Pippa? No, you got your pick, didn't we? No, I didn't. No. I oh, good. Oh, yeah, it's a quick step. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. It's a quick. So, Jakobson, yeah. But I don't know anything about <laughs> You know more than us. Yeah, if you don't know anything, then we're in serious trouble. Uh, okay, that is it from us today. Please come back tomorrow for stage one, two, three, three. We're losing count already. We're not even a week in. Yes, please come back for stage three tomorrow. Thank you for listening and see you Ooh, sometime after tomorrow's stage. Goodbye. <laughs>